Live from Spain, this is The Drive Home with Harry Waters. Hello everybody and welcome to The Drive Home. It's lovely to have you here with me today. Um, are you back at school now? Uh, has your glorious half term finished? Has it just begun? Um, what exactly are you doing at the moment? Um, if you're not driving home, what are you doing? Are you at home? Are you preparing lunch? Uh, although it'd be, you might be preparing dinner at this sort of time, to be honest, over there in the UK. Um, but anyway, I'm here in my office sitting down with my dog, um, as you do all ready for today's show. Now, I was super lucky to interview our guest today, um, this morning. It was a, a, a really lovely interview and one that could have, to be honest, gone on for three or four hours. Um, I, I didn't want to keep her for too long, um, but we'll find out a little more about um, the guest very, very shortly. Um, and of course, you know, We'll hear all about her insights into, you know, a name. Um, we'll hear about her insights into intercultural um, communication skills, into personal communication skills, um, and also a little bit about the the course book that she's recently been involved uh, in writing. Um, it is Chia Sun Chong. I'm really delighted to have been able to have her on. Um, but what have you been up to this week? Have you been have you had a hectic week? My week's been pretty crazy. Um, I think today I had the day of meetings um, and tomorrow starts with a morning of meetings. And of course, then in the afternoon, I've got a, a conference in Italy and then Renewable English Live. So um, another hectic day before Friday comes along where there's another talk that I'm, I'm doing in, in the UK um, with green ideas for the classroom. And of course, uh, on Saturday, I've got the last day of the wonderful, the amazing um, Creating a Greener Mindset course, which is uh, something I'm super, I'm super excited about. It's been fantastic. I've really uh, loved every minute of it. And now we're into our fourth and final week. We're going to be doing our end project. And of course, certificates. Um, so since I last spoke to you um, last week, I also did the, the Global uh, Teachers Festival for Macmillan, where we did our talks. Mine was called SDG as easy as one, two, three. Um, and it was all about getting the, the development goals into your lessons in a very quick and easy manner. Um, and that was uh, broadcast across the world, which was super fun. Um, I get this crazy buzz about... Uh, about when I do these sessions, um, I just I just love being able to talk with teachers from across the globe and share their different ideas and their different experiences. It's something that I find really just lovely, to be honest. Um, so I, I won't go on for too long. Of course, um, I will get stuck into the interview. Um, and yeah, today I, I learned an awful lot about a guest who I thought I knew a lot about already. Um, Somebody certainly worth following um, online. She has plenty of wonderful content out there available already. Um, so I do recommend you you go and, and check her out. Um, but I'm going to go over now to our interview. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. We have a wonderful guest here today. Um, I'm so grateful uh, to have a cheer on with us today. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit, but before I do, um, I'd like to mention that she is 
uh, an author, and um, we're going to be talking about some of her newest work coming out soon, um, and a communication skills trainer. Um, and what we're going to be looking at today are the whys and hows of, of interpersonal and intercultural communication skills. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But, you know, if you need to learn more, it's very easy. If you just type in Google, you can find absolutely everything. This is one thing I absolutely love about this guest is I've been able to watch so many wonderful um, interviews and webinars over the past uh, few months because there is so much incredible stuff out there. We're going to talk about that very shortly. So, um, Chia, thank you for joining us. Hi, Harry. Thanks for having me. I have to say that I remember when I first saw your, your name, um, it, you've got a distinctive name. It's wonderful. And, and I remember Googling you and just then all of this amazing stuff came out of, you know, the, I think, oh, I'm not sure when the first moment I, I, I saw you pop up, it must have been a few years ago at the Eltons. Um, and there's just so much amazing stuff out there. So of, of all my guests, I have to say, like researching people, you have been by far the easiest to do. I think it's mainly because my name, um, it's, it's, it's not a Christian name. It's not a typical sort of, you know, um, Western name, is it? So, you know, there's probably nobody else in the world who has my name at least on on social media on on, on the online searches you, you you are unlikely to find anybody else with my name so I think that helps <laughs> it's it, I remember when I, I found out and I like I literally typed in the first thing and so much I mean you know with my name it's pretty generic also the son of Roger Waters has my name and he is a musician there's also somebody uh, who's in Back to the Future, um, called Harry Waters Jr. Oh, so, really? you know, you Google me and I'm somewhere about, you know, 75th on the list. You know, there, there was, I hate to go heavy on this one, but <laughs> there was a time when I wondered and, and, and there, were, there were discussions between me and my colleagues about whether I would change my surname when I got married. Um, my husband's Irish, uh, his surname's Hogan. Um, and, you know, we were talking about how in the, in the, English language teaching industry um, and, and also just sort of, I don't know, um, people's immediate biases, mm -hmm. would it be easier for me to make more headway in the industry as an author, as a trainer, um, if I had a more Western sounding name uh, or a surname like Hogan, would I, would I have more credibility in teaching English if my surname sounded more anglicized and more english-like um and this was a, a discussion that that i had with colleagues and friends and people had different opinions about it some people said yes absolutely um you know that's the cruelty of the world if you have a foreign sounding um eastern sounding exotic name then you know you might have issues with publishers wanting to take you on um having your name splashed on an english language course book or teacher training book it just doesn't feel like you will have as much credibility um, but then I stuck to my guns because I remembered Arthur Miller in the Crucible saying, but this is my name and I have only one name. <laughs> and so I thought I'll stick to my guns and, and, and see what I do, what I can do with my name. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so glad that you did as well, because, you know, it was just just yesterday I was, I was speaking to somebody on Twitter and, you know, it was to talk about, you know, getting married and changing names and, um, you know, for me, if, if people want to change their name, I have absolutely no issue with this, obviously, you know. Um, 
But then I just thought about Spanish culture. And when you get married here, there's like no expectation for you to change your name. You keep your name and then, you know, your names pass on to your children. Mm-hmm. Um, so my daughter, for example, is, uh, you know, her surname, she has mine and my wife's surname. But my wife like would never have thought of, of changing her name. And again, we had a, we were, um, we were examining for, you know, a particular exam board. Um, and, you know, we just got married and my wife put, you know, Gemma Waters instead of Gemma Galan, you know, just because it was, it was easier to, to kind of get that position. And it was just in that moment, we were both like, that is so wrong. It's like, you know, you didn't need to do that for this culture. But, yet, you know, I can understand the argument, but oof, I think we could probably go down this rabbit hole for quite a long time, to be honest. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, to, to add on to that, I actually had a Christian name. I my, I don't know whether to tell you my name. Um, I, I grew up with a Christian name. Um, and then when I was in secondary school, I dropped it for several reasons. I was bullied at school for liking the Chinese language too much, believe it or not. Uh, and so my parents took me out of the school I was bullied in and took, put me in a different school where both the English and Chinese language were both sort of, you know, seen as prestigious. Uh, so I, in, in a in an act of rebellion, I joined everything Chinese. I joined the Chinese Drama Society and Chinese Poetry Club. Um, and at that point, I said, I'm dropping my Christian name. I was about 14 years old. I said, I'm dropping my Christian name. And from now on, I'm cheers one, nothing else. My relatives still use my Christian name. They could never get, get around calling me cheers one. Um, but yeah, that, that topic came up to like, should I revive that Christian name? Um, but the moment I said said what the name was, everyone said, um, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like I like the mystery of not knowing it. Um, I think, you know, I'm something my, my, my wife and I and my daughter do, if we ever go out to a restaurant, we always try and guess the, you know, the waiter, the, the waiters and the waitresses <laughs> names, you know, we always sit there thinking, what is the server's name? You know, they're, hmm. Um, we've only ever got it right once. Uh, so what, what would you guess my name to be if I were your server? <laughs> oh, oh, you just put me under so much pressure right now. <laughs> what would I guess your name to be? I think it, it'd be a strong name. Um, I think it's quite old fashioned. I don't think people call their kids by that name in, in this day and age anymore. Perhaps my generation, yes, but not, not these days. Oh, I just want to say Gwendolyn now. Like, I don't know why. They're much more common, common than that. Think more common, common than Gwendolyn. Really common. Oof. <laughs> oh. starts with an s um is it sarah sarah's still quite common is it not i don't um, know serendipity that'd be a cool one. Oh no it's, it's not a very cool name it's sharon <laughs> oh oh that is not a very cool name you definitely definitely apologies to anyone listening cult sharon out there my sincerest apologies we don't mean to oh no the name sharon, there's nothing there. wrong with the name sharon but i don't know for me it doesn't it doesn't work for you you know you sometimes see oh people, okay yeah, I, I once you know had a, had a friend um whose name was gary but he really looked like an andy you know it was funny <laughs> people actually called him gandhi because his, his name was gary but he looked like an andy so that became his new name was gandhi which was uh which is quite amusing um, at the time. Oh. So, yeah. so you're glad I'm not Sharon Chong, but cheers, one Chong. It's a, it's an <laughs> exceptional name anyway. So you, you made the, the 100% right choice. Um, so you talked a bit about um, 
about your, your past there and how did you get to where you are today? What is your, what was your journey in ELT? That's a big question. It's a huge question. It's one I like to ask a lot of people and some people have much more varied journeys than others. So where do we start? Um, I used to be an actress um, in Singapore where I came from. Uh, I was a, a t television actress. Uh, so when I came to this part of the world, to, to, to Europe, um, I came because I had a role in, in, in a production by Hallmark. Um, so I was filming in Prague uh, and, and the crew, they were all British and they all said, oh, if you want to be an actress, you should come to London as the centre of the arts. So I did. Um, <laughs> trying to make it as an actress in London was a lot more difficult than I thought it was. Um, you know, I, I kind of assumed, oh, my portfolio is amazing. You know, I've been TV actress for years, had my own TV show, I'll be fine. And then, of course, you come to London and everyone's like, yeah, you know, I was on TV too. <laughs> I had five years of training and RADA and everyone's amazing. And, and, and it was just tough um, being Asian and looking different also had its challenges because you end up get going for auditions for roles that are very stereotypical you know the the, the kung fu master's assistant the filipino nurse oh wow <laughs> it always had to do with kung fu somehow um or, 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 or massaging people oh, <laughs> you're the, mas oh. you the masseuse the asian masseuse um but you know like my acting teacher once said there's no such thing as small roles only small actors so I kept at it for a while, but I needed to pay the bills. So I was working in a pub and one of the one of the customers at the pub said, you make a really good English teacher. Um, you know, I work at an English school. Um, I run I run the, the, the you know, the timetables and, and the admin. Why don't I get you, you know, an interview? So I did. Um, it was not your typical English school. It was one of these um, designer method schools where um, you followed a particular method. And this particular school followed a very strict drilling kind of method. You know, you oh, just wow. drill students. Yeah, so it's sort of the audiolingual approach to things. Um, but it was, you know, I got my foot in the door. Um, I didn't need any qualifications to work there. And they were happy for me to keep going for auditions uh, and, 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 you know, still focusing on my acting career while drilling students <laughs> so i did that for about two years and realized i really really like teaching english and i found myself deviating from the method more and more trying to kind of find other ways to teach other ways to other methods to get students to get their head around english grammar for example um so i decided to to move schools i went to a different school did my celta um really really enjoying my celta experience uh, i did it at international house london and then eventually got a job there um, and stayed at International House London for about nine years, I think it was, um, and was there, I became a CELTA tutor, I did my Delta, I did my MA in Applied Linguistics, became a big business English teacher, trainer, whatnot, and then eventually left uh, because I met my husband and he was living in Germany, so I moved to Germany. Uh, and went freelance and that was the start of my very exciting freelance journey in becoming an author communication skills trainer and then we moved to york where i am now and and we've been here for eight years now oh wow it's the, that of the journeys um that's probably winning out of all of the people i've spoken to that's a uh, you know from from tv actress to to ELT author, it's, it's not a journey that most people kind of take. It's, it's slight, 
slightly different. Um, oh, I, I would I beg to differ. I really would beg to differ. I have met so many ELT professionals in these years that have been doing ELT. And many of them, so many of them are musicians, actors, ex-theater actresses, you know, voiceover artists. I even met someone who was an author and also a teacher who used to be on top of the pubs. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I think it's, uh, you know, it's known, a known fact that if you're in the music, music or, or, or acting industry, jobs are, you know, it's a frivolous industry, isn't it? You know, it's, mm -hmm. jobs are hard to come by. And once you get a job, it's a big job. And then, you know, then you're unemployed for ages. And, you know, instead of working in a pub, it's kind of nice to have teaching as a backup, you know, while, while you're pursuing your other career. Um, so I, I think it's it's a common thing for teachers, for 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 ex-actresses and musicians to to latch onto the teaching profession i think well yeah, and there's I, I, similarity and sort of standing in front of a an audience oh, definitely definitely i was, I was very very into like theater and, and drama when i was at school and university i was uh you know i was in i was in a few plays with with matt smith the guy who played doctor who and, and prince philip in in Ooh. the crown so I was, I was hugely into it so yeah when i when i started teaching it did feel just natural. I don't know why. Like as, as soon as the, it was one of those things that as soon as I started doing it, it was like, oh wow, this is really cool. Yeah, um, I think it's a natural transition. But that said, I think people like us or me <laughs> have to be really, really careful as well because you know you end up in my early days of teaching. You you, you think of it as a performance, so it's all about you. And then I remember observing this teacher trainer once and and he was like the most chilled, most, under, you know, like understated guy. It was never about him. It was all about the students and it was all about the students speaking and the students giving their opinions. And he was sort of he kind of faded into the background while the lesson was in progress. And I thought, wow, that that's amazing. And, and it kind of really, re, you know, rejigged my idea of what a teacher should be you know less of a performer but more of a facilitator oh 100 um and that's something that you know has i i see it in myself in like all classes like remember it's not the harry show it's the you know it's the pepe show it's the you know it's the the juanita show it's the mercedes show you know you're if anything you're the director you know you're not on stage you know by all means have your tantrum if it's not going right, but it's not about you. It's about them. Um, I, that, that was a huge sort of transfer of, of skills, realizing that that moment. I, I remember it, and I think it was when it was actually when I was observing somebody else that I really noticed that in myself when I was watching them, just thinking, this is fun. And like, I'm enjoying watching this, but I'm not sure what the students are getting out of it because they're not doing much. <laughs> they're learning how to listen to stories in a brilliant way and that you know these stories are hilarious but i think what we need to do is you know focus it more on them um but that's the paradox of teaching isn't it because the kind of people that are attracted to the, the elt or the teaching industry tend to be people i, I maybe i'm wrong but i think it tends to be people who are quite dynamic in nature they're quite active in their personalities they're quite vibrant and then the, the, the danger of them making it all about themselves and a little performance in the classroom would then kind of go against what the communicative approach is about because a teacher really should 
be you know in the background facilitating and coaching and guiding rather than performing and I, I think it's, it's an interesting paradox to think about uh, yeah I, de I definitely think that with online teaching as well I think that's become more difficult to be that kind of in the background teacher yes you're a facilitator you're there to you know help with um the situation but you are more in the spotlight if that that if you know mm. what I mean so that that mm. moment where you're there um and talking about that actually being in the spotlight um I'd like to calmly segue across here to a post I saw on on uh LinkedIn yesterday from Emma Haderman all about webinars now um you know she mentioned how she gets nervous before webinars and what were people's routines before they go into webinars now I have to say of all the webinarists on the internet, uh, I, I don't know if I just invented a new word there. Um, <laughs> um, of all the webinarists out there, I have got so much like respect and just admiration for the way you do your webinars. Like, they are not only like during the, now I'm going to call it a performance, it's not a performance, it's, it's a seminar, it's a talk, but how do you do it like you do these sessions at four o'clock in the morning sometimes and I see your pictures and it's just like wow like she's just looks so natural for you I guess you know that has something to do with the acting background as well um but what are your top tips for for going into um, a webinar now I can't always match my clothes to the slide deck I do try I usually go for the clash though just like some kind of weird shirt and obviously a hat um but you know that's some of the things you do and it looks incredible so I was wondering what are your I'm putting you on the spot here top three tips for preparing for a webinar if you have more than three that's fine but I just thought I'd set the bar low wow top three tips for preparing for a webinar that's really really tricky because you know I talk a lot about culture don't I um and one of the things is, is the culture of the people you're talking to, the culture of the industry you are presenting in. Um, you know, I, I often tell the story about, this is not about webinars, but uh, uh, going to like the ITAFL conference, the International Association for Teachers of English as a Foreign Language. So they have an annual conference. And I remember first going to it many, many, many years ago um, and watching all these like, you know, ELT stars, ELT celebrities on stage giving their talk and, in, in a way, back when there were no TED Talks, they were like your TED Talkers. They were funny, they were charming, they, they were entertaining. You would walk in to their talks and, and, and be laughing and having fun, but you would come out with a really solid takeaway. And I remember taking notes and thinking, OK, if you want to be a good presenter, use images in your slides. Don't do death by PowerPoint, you know, no, no 12 font or, or, or smaller. Um, put people in pairs, get them interacting um be entertaining be charming tell jokes you know keep it light and then many years later after i had been practicing all these top tips um and trying to kind of be like them and emulate these great speakers um i remember going being sent by my university to um deliver my paper i had just finished my master's and i wrote a paper about english as a lingua franca so i, I went to istanbul to this academic conference to to, to present my paper so I prepared the slide deck thinking, okay, lots of images, chances for pair work, you know, big font, et cetera, et cetera. You know, jokes at the right appropriate moments. 
And then I went to the conference and all these speakers were just kind of flashing up the PowerPoint slides and they were just full of like font size eight words. Oh, and they were just no. reading, they were reading from the slides. Oh no, no, no. And, oh, you're and, my brain. And every talk was like that. So I was there, you know, feeling a bit smug, thinking, huh, wait till they come to my talk. They're going to be so impressed. I'm going to be like dynamic and it's going to be power work. It's going to be amazing. So feeling really like, you know, smug and arrogant. Then it came to my turn to deliver the talk and it just fell so flat. People's jaws were hitting the floors when I said, would you like to work in pairs? They were like, work in what? <laughs> then there were these images on my slides and people were just looking at each other going, what, what, why, why are there images? When I was trying to make a joke or trying to be charming, nobody laughed. Everybody just stared at me with these serious faces going, what is she doing? Um, and then many years later, I remember showing one of my trainees some TED Talks, you know, and TED Talkers tend to be quite funny and entertaining too. Um, and I remember my trainees all being really puzzled saying, you know, they can't be very serious about their academic subject if they're making jokes. And I thought that's exactly what my audience must have been thinking when I was there trying to be charming, putting them in pairs, showing them images and everybody in the audience was just like, what is she doing? And it made me realize that what I had experienced was a culture shock because the norms, the criteria of what makes a good webinar, what makes a good presentation in the ELT industry, in the practitioner's industry, is going to be very, very different from the norms and the criteria of a good presentation for, say, academics and, mm -hmm. and a different industry. So I think it's really, really hard to say because when I do my webinars, I try to, you know, do a lot of interactive stuff. You know, I ask the audience questions. I, I, I've become quite used to monitoring the chat chat box as I'm talking. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm there addressing people who have commented and, and, and I, I try to make it really, really interactive sort of workshop style. But then I've noticed, you know, when I'm being briefed on certain webinars beforehand, sometimes they tell me, oh, there's not going to be a chat box or you can't see the chat box. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this webinar now? You know, it's meant to be interactive. It kind of made me realize that a lot, to a lot of people, the definition of a webinar is a lecture. They, they want someone to just talk and not, you know, not interact with the audience. And I also know that some webinarists, as you put it, um, are not very comfortable, you know, talking and looking at the chat box at the same time because you're kind of multitasking aren't you mm -hmm. so i completely understand that as well if, if people are not comfortable doing both then that's fine too but i think it's just hard to say all webinars should be interactive or all webinars should have you know images on the slides because it really depends on the community of practice the people that you're talking to and what they expect and yeah. and what yeah. the organizers and the stakeholders expect as well so i think tip number one would be find out more about your audience and find out about your stakeholders and find out what they want from you mm -hmm. before you, you know, make those decisions. That is an excellent tip. I, I, it reminds me of, I was, I was working for, for Pearson as an, as an ELT consultant and they have to do uh, annual training for another publisher that they worked with. And the person I'd prepared the presentation with was also a former ELT teacher, you know, so we've, we've prepared this presentation, we've gone to the sales conference, and it was basically like, you know, going to an ELT conference with, you know, some fun games, some ideas, you know, to get people involved, to see what they knew about the book. Got laughed out of the room. It was just it was a disaster. Who was in the audience? 
what kind of people? It was, it was our fellow, like, it was a, a, a run through. It was going to be for, you know, some other sales reps for another, um, for another publisher. But it was to our fellow sales rep and to, like, the internal team. It was at the, the, at the, the meeting, the uh, annual meeting. And it was just like, oh, it was horrible. And afterwards, I just sat in my chair just thinking, oh, I've never felt like this after a presentation in my life. It was utterly soul destroying but you know you need to have these moments in life don't you it's you know you need to stay humble I think the most difficult people to present to are your own colleagues your own friends and your own family you know some people say oh yeah here's a big tip rehearse your talk with your friends and family and let them give you feedback (laughs) that's even worse than the actual presentation (laughs) yeah yeah. you're always worried about how your friends and colleagues see you and I, I mean I think it's a great thing to do when I used to work at International House London um, you know there was this great um, scheme where if you had a talk coming at a conference they would organize an in-house uh, mm-hmm. opportunity mm-hmm. for you to deliver your talk to your colleagues as a, as a rehearsal before you go off and do it in front of a, a you know a public crowd oh, but I always yeah, found yeah. those rehearsals more nerve-wracking than the actual yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also the first time you do it isn't it so it, yes exactly exactly but that, that recently um international house london had a conference um i think it was called the future of training conference and and they invited me in as the opening plenary and i had never been so nervous delivering a plenary <laughs> i was just like oh my gosh i'm back in my old home I'm back at home yeah <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned something there that i think was quite an important tip from from emma in her post and that was when you look in the audience, if you see any, you know, I'm, I'm doing inverted commas for the listeners, big names, you know, if you see other big names from ELT, like you mentioned, when you go to the conferences and you see them all doing their thing, like when I go and see Chris Rowland, I have got a serious Teffel crush on that guy. Like, I'm not joking. He's, he's a Teffel wizard. Like watching him up there with his ideas is absolute, like I've never seen anything like it. There's, nobody can ever measure up to Chris, in my opinion. He was like the first, conference I ever went to seeing him there it was him and Simon Perlman were were the two who I saw that just blew my mind and I was just like wow that is amazing so yeah if you ever get if you ever seen Chris Rowland or get the chance to he's just incredible yes I have seen him and uh, he's very dynamic and so full of energy just so much fun and so I think one thing about Chris's talks is they're so practical yeah. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what we want. We don't want, you know, to go in and just be loaded with loads of theory and then walk out thinking, how does that relate to my teaching context? I think with Chris's talks, you walk in and you know you're going to come up with a bunch of ideas that you can immediately apply on Monday morning. You know? Exactly. So- that's like how I try and model myself, basically, on that. On that note, we're going to shoot off for the news and uh, for a quick visit from our sponsors. Stay in your seats. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. 
ArtPlan is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use ArtPlan to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with ArtPlan, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Schools Climate Education South Yorkshire will host its second climate conference this year. It is a free event and will feature Henry Firth and Ian Thesby, the world-renowned vegan chef duo Bosch, food upcycling organisation Foodworks and a science workshop from Amaze Lab. The event will run from the 1st to the 3rd of March and will include live and pre-recorded virtual sessions aimed at teachers and students of all ages. Coordinator Richard Souter said that Schools Climate Education South Yorkshire was set up in response to the climate crisis and the inadequate progress being made in combating it. We hope these conferences are the start of a journey for staff and young people in doing what they can within their schools and communities to both promote and advocate for change. Rafia Hussein, a secondary teacher in Sheffield, who was involved in the conference last year, said, It got the environment ball rolling in my school. We were able to self-reflect as a school and think about what we can do both individually and collectively. It certainly raised awareness. Steve Chalk, founder of the Oasis Academy Trust, has warned that the lifting of COVID restrictions in England will lead to a further rise in homeschooling. Mr Chalk said, I think it will become a forced form of exclusion for those who are vulnerable, those immunosuppressed children and staff who are put at increased risk. Also staff who are living with their own immunosuppressed children. I think we will see a group of children turning away from education. It will lead to a further rise in home education. It can be a route for those who are worried or scared. All of this will play together in some unhelpful ways. The gamble, in my mind, 
is that attendance among many of the most vulnerable stops or goes down, so it becomes a form of exclusion. Removing the requirement for positive cases to self-isolate puts them all at increased risk. Councils in England reported in November that there had been a 34% jump in the number of parents choosing to take their children out of school to teach them at home. The DfE is also concerned about attendance, which stood at 86.2% in secondary schools on the 3rd of February, while pre-COVID it would be about 95%. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at M underscore Stevens Zero, pointing out to at Team English One that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's Two Minute Tech. Today I present Getting Snippy With It. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want, freeform select which is draw a shape around what you want, window select which is pick the window you want to capture, screen select which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button. Some may say there's no point to this but stay tuned, there is. Finally there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board you can pin snip and sketch to your taskbar, right click the icon and select pin to taskbar. Now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you very much for that. Now, um, we are here to talk about something in particular and specific, of course. Um, not to say that the uh, the general talk beforehand wasn't uh, fantastic. Um, and we're here to talk about the, the whys and hows of interpersonal and intercultural communication skills. But first, before the whys and hows... How's about you tell us the what's? Can you explain to, to our <laughs> listeners what are uh, interpersonal and intercultural communication skills? So interpersonal skills um, are skills that you need when interacting with other people. So th they include things like how you build rapport and trust with people, how you can listen actively and be an active listener, a good listener, uh, how you can manage conflict whether it's your own conflict or conflict between two people you know, like your best friends having an argument. Um, and I think, you know, conflict management is one area that is so important, but yet is sort of often avoided in a lot of English teaching materials. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, we deal with conflict all the time, whatever language we speak. It could be small little conflict issues like misunderstanding of 
friend or thinking that someone said something and it's oh, does it mean that she doesn't like me when she said that you know it could be a disagreement of, of opinions when in a group discussion it could be someone feeling left out because they feel like they're not being asked for their opinions any of these sort of a slightly negative or very negative emotions often lead to issues in communication and so i feel like we can't really really shouldn't be neglecting conflict management when we talk about helping students to communicate in english um, other areas might include things like influencing skills how you persuade someone or convince someone of your ideas and and we're talking about going beyond just a list of useful language but for sure in a lot of ERT materials you have like here's how to make suggestions you say how about blah 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 and why don't we blah 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 and, and that's it demand. and that's it you give them this useful language and you're like okay now you know how to make suggestions yeah. okay. go and do it um, go and suggest to people <laughs> but you know how we influence people can be really really different and if, if you look at you know workplace training that, that, that there are so many frameworks to describe different ways of influencing people that the push the pull you know a, a more aggressive kind of way of pushing ideas across or it's sort of more collaborative you know do you tell me what you want and i tell you what i want and so I, I think we really should look at how you know how influencing is done in your daily life and and how transferable that is because how you might do it in your own communities might be different from how someone else does it um, and that brings culture into play, right? When we talk about um, interpersonal skills, we can't leave out the cultural aspect because how you build trust with your friends might be really different from how I build trust. I remember coming in to, to a class once and, and trying to build trust with my new students. I started to talk about my family life. And I said, uh, you know, here are some photos of my kids. Here are some photos of, you know, this is a photo of my husband. This is who I am. Uh, and one student was really put off by this they were like oh this is so unprofessional you know you're in the work environment and you're there talking about your kids and showing us photos of your kids what's going on where's um, my grammar list <laughs> where's my grammar list um or, or, or simple things like like asking a student you know uh we're doing a needs analysis here at the start of a, a term you know i want i want you to tell me what type of topics are you interested in what kind of areas of grammar do you feel you're lacking in and she looked at me and said it's your job you're the teacher you tell me <laughs> oh, so, so used to being spoon-fed everything uh, yeah you know it's it's easy when when we encounter things like that to to immediately jump to conclusions so, you know we cannot say oh that person's so rude or so unprofessional or so mm -hmm. this and, and and i think intercultural skills training is about helping students to take a step back and say okay wait a minute why are they doing it so differently from me let's explore that let's look under the iceberg under the waterline and and, and find out their beliefs, their experiences, their values, their attitudes that give rise to this behavior. And, and once we start to kind of, you know, explore that, we learn to be more accommodating, more patient, and perhaps even more flexible. And in doing all that, we also become more aware of our own beliefs, our own attitudes and behaviors, and realizing that, you know, our norms, what we what we expect is, is not universal, you know, how I how I take turns in a conversation might not be the same as how my Japanese student takes turns mm -hmm. in conversations. And, and I've got to realize this is not because she's a worse speaker than me, or, you know, more shy than me, she very, may very well be so, but to actually open my mind to other interpretations of, of, of you know, different styles of communicating. And that's where the intercultural aspect comes in as well. Because usually in, in ELT, you know, you'll get a, 
I'm, I'm talking course book in general here. You know, you'll get a, a culture section and it'll either be, I don't know, St. Patrick's Day or, you know, there'll be something like that. Or there'll be, you know, oh, we've, you know, found a remote village in Africa and they do this, you know. But they're the kind of, the things that you get into culture are, you get to see a cultural event usually. It's not often, you know, underpinning of the, you know, respect in certain cultures. You know, for example, when, you know, I have a lot of, uh, I work with a lot of teachers in India, um, and a fair few students in India, and they always call me sir, always. Absolutely always call me sir. Like, and I'm saying, please, God, it's okay. You know, you don't need to. You can just call me, just call me Harry. And, and they would say still, you know, Harry, sir, or Sir Harry. And it's just like, that's it. Then you're sir as well. If, you know, I don't mind if you want to call me. I'm not going to tell you not to do it if it's in your culture to do it. But I'm going to also call you sir, because I don't want there to be any kind of you know, imbalance yeah, I there. Hi hierarchy and power distances is a huge thing as well. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of um, intercultural skills experts have been talking about this for decades. The, the, the idea that certain communities and cultures have have a more a higher power distance, you know, like teacher, student, that there's a bigger gap there in terms of the the the, the status. Um, and 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 in some cultures, you know, there's more of a flat hierarchy system where 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 bosses and, and employees hang out together and there's an open door policy and everyone addresses each other in, in, in casual language. Um, so yeah, that, that's another aspect. No, but you're absolutely right. When, when course books talk about culture, very, very often um, they're dealing with things like, you know, festivals, food, art, um, mm -hmm. historical figures, um, you, you know, celebrations. There's the sometimes like a weird colorful. cultural fact as well, isn't it? A I'm weird sorry cultural to fact. You. you know, like yes, yes. in South Korea, you can't show the soles of your feet. It's like, that's very rude in South Korea. And it's like, someone came to my house and showed me the soles of their feet. I think it was pretty rude anyway, unless we're like out in the garden in the summer, like... Is that South Korea? They like dot them in there, like culture yeah, you're spots. You're, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Um, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, cu cultural tidbits and fun facts and, 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 and festivals and food. They're colorful, they're fun, they're easy to incorporate into a listening text or a reading text and, mm -hmm. and they're very easy to put into a course book. Um, but I often say, you know, as interesting as these things are, and these are important, we need to kind of go beyond that because the, 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 the cultural things that cause misunderstandings are not these, are not these things. Right. If, if I said to you, oh, you know, when going to Japan, you should always bring a gift when visiting someone, whether visiting them in their home or in the office, remember to bring a gift. You might say to yourself, OK, fine, I'll remember to bring a gift. So you bring a gift. It's, it's not something that's going to encroach on your personal values to, to, to just say, oh, I'll, I'll adapt. I'll bring a gift. Mm -hmm. Also, if you forget to bring a gift. The Japanese person will more than likely say to themselves, oh, he's not Japanese. He probably doesn't know, you know, that we bring gifts. That's fine. And that'll be done. You know, nobody would judge anybody, probably, you know. That said, if, for example, you are very used to interruptions and, and, and a more dynamic conversation where there are no silences in between turns and you meet someone who's just so not used to interruptions and, and, and is used to a much more slower form of paced turn-taking where there's lots of silence in between turns and, and there's a hierarchy as to who should go next when speaking 
when you two meet, you would probably make judgments about each other and not even realize it's a cultural issue. You might say, mm -hmm. oh, that person's not talking a lot. Maybe they have no opinions. Maybe they're just a bit boring. And the, the other person might say, oh, that, you know, Harry's always interrupting. He's so rude. Um, and you start to jump to these conclusions and making yeah. judgments about their personalities without realizing, hey, you know, it's just a different style of communication. So that's what I mean when I say certain areas of culture, you know, they're, they're more they're, they're more difficult to understand and and more interesting in many ways to explore because they're not so obvious and those are the ones that are more likely to cause misunderstandings than just not knowing the festivals of a country or what food they eat exactly yeah the it reminds me a lot of um here in sevilla you know it's you know the epicenter of flamenco you know this is where flamenco like happens it's people flock here for flamenco you know this year they've got the biennale which is a flamenco festival and it's like the biggest flamenco festival in the world um but flamenco is super popular in Japan. Like it's after Spain, it's like so popular there. And it's amazing to see when um, like the Japanese dancers come over to do a course here. You know, my wife's a dancer and a photographer. So, you know, she, she spends a lot of time with dancers and, you know, maybe they'll come around to the house with, you know, the, the whole class will come over to the house and we'll, you know, we'll have people over. Um, and you'll, you know, there's a huge mix of, of different, um different cultures there you'll you know, have people from mexico people from the states people from japan all together there but lots of spanish people and when it comes to speaking spanish like people can have four people in a room and six conversations going on at the same time like it's so confusing even for me when i go to my wife's um you know her family's house if there's more than six people in a room i'm just like i, I can't do this I don't, I, don't, I don't there's so much going on everywhere um and seeing people from a more traditionally kind of um reserved culture like you know when the the, the young uh, japanese people are here you know japanese dancers are here at, you know they're 20 22 23 and they're suddenly thrown into this environment you can see the kind of wide eyes of whoa but then, you know, as time goes on, think, you obviously see these people change and develop, and it's wonderful to see all of these different cultures kind of mixing. But what you say there, it isn't about whether you bring a gift, which would be lovely, you know, to, you know, but it's about those smaller things and respecting and stopping to make sure somebody else can speak and asking somebody their opinion. You know, it makes such a massive difference. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it, you might say, hey, it's common sense, right? Um, and a lot of teachers do it really well. You know, they, they, they notice the quieter students and they elicit opinions from them. They, they notice the vibe in the classroom and they, they're sensitive to those vibes and they, they try to kind of, you know, use their, their skills to create a really conducive atmosphere where everyone's interacting in a positive manner. And, and, and those are all the skills of mediation that the Common European Framework of Languages have put in since 2018 they've, they've, they've come up with a list of can-do statements of descriptors to include mediation as a mode to be assessed and a mode to be looked at when considering how fluent someone is or how proficient someone is in a language so in the old days we just talk about speaking reading listening writing but now what they're saying what the cef is saying is there's receptive skills like listening and reading and, and there's productive skills like speaking and writing Previously, they said, OK, we've got to also consider interactive skills like interactions, which is, you know, not just one skill on its own. It's, it's a combination of listening and speaking. But now they're saying it's, that's not enough. We've got to look at mediation skills, how we 
create that positive atmosphere? How we bridge the gap between the different cultures of a group, mm-hmm. um, the differences between a group, when, when people in a group don't agree or they don't have similar styles of communicating, are you able to be that bridge and ensure that everyone has a chance to speak, ensure that everyone feels good about that conversation? Even when they disagree, are you able to kind of oil those wheels of communication and, and, and make that conversation um, productive and, 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 and feel good? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's very astute of CFR to, to, to include that into their descriptors, because at the end of the day, when students leave the classroom and they don't have the teacher there to, you know, monitor the, the, the conversation and go, oh, mm-hmm. Harry, you haven't spoken for a while. Uh, what do you think? When the teacher's not there to do that and they're out there on their own participating in group conversations where different cultures are mingling with each other, are they able to manage those situations? Are they able to realize you know, for example, when they don't understand what's going on, that maybe it's not about their grammar vocabulary. Maybe it's something else that's going on. Uh, maybe it's because the relationships of the people in the group is something unknown to that new participant, for example. So <laughs> you could talk for ages about this, but I think when we teach students to become better communicators in English, we can't leave out the interpersonal skills, the intercultural skills, because it's all part of making them better at you know conversations and interactions yeah um i saw that the sketch note that emily did the other day of your your talk on mediation i was just like so cool so cool. emily is so good with the sketch noting and- is that not like she, she did one for for the talk i did in uh, uh innovate elt and i've never felt so good after doing a session <laughs> than seeing that like it was just the most incredible feeling I've ever had after a session. It's like that's, and it's so cool. It looks so good. And, and I think the most amazing thing about Emily Bryson is that she 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 doesn't she doesn't use it's it's not like oh wow you know Emily is such a great artist that we can never be like her. That's not her angle. Her angle is. I'm doing this. It looks cool, but actually, it's really simple to do, and I can yeah. help you to do to do exactly. this. I'm drawing squares and shapes and triangles, but just putting them in the right place. and And she makes it so so friendly. And I I, I I love this thing that Emily once said to me. She said, "It's not about you know making art. It's about communicating visually. And of course, communicating is all." Or my thing right so that was totally the right thing to say to me and I thought well, yeah this is it's a communication skill on its own it really is it really is um and you know Emily was a co-author with you was she not uh, yes. very recently on a, on a wonderful series that I am very very excited to see very excited to see um so how was voices for you so yes, the series is called Voices. It's a seven book uh, course series for general English students of English uh, published by National Geographic Learning. And, and there's a group of us who, who wrote it together, Emily Bryson being one of my co-authors. Um, and it's we are just as excited, if not more excited than you are. Um, it's, it's pretty it's been, good. It's just being launched at the moment. And I think the, the angle that Voices is taking is that, you know, English is used as a tool for global communication. Our students are learning English not to assimilate, you know, when living in England or America, they're they're learning English because they want to have this tool to to, to express themselves no matter where in the world they go, whoever they speak to, you know, whether it's at the workplace or, you know, while playing a computer game with friends online, you you want to have that that, that extra tool to be able to to, to enable you to, to widen those relationships and widen your scope. 
Um, and, and so because of this, Voices takes a real sort of um, global look at communication. So we, we look at communication skills, interpersonal skills, intercultural skills, all the stuff that we've been talking about. And in every unit, you have a double page lesson based on one of those areas. So you could have a double page lesson on how to listen to people's problems something that happens all the time but we don't never talk about it in english course books right never, never someone comes to you and says i want to talk to you you about you know this issue i'm facing or or someone comes to you and wants to rant about you know like oh this thing happened at work I'm really so angry with my boss how do you react what do you say in return um we, we never deal with that and and, and we have so a whole double page flag on on this um we've got double page spreads about you know issues like influencing conflict management different ways of seeing time are you the kind of person who, who does things you know go with the flow or are you the kind of person who is really organized and you really want you know to eat pizza every single friday uh, <laughs> um so we, we have you know lessons based on these topics but done in a really relatable way full of stories you know stories of harry who wants to eat pizza every friday and emily who who prefers to just go with the flow and chill out man um you know it's so true though because like that. that can make such a difference like if somebody you know arrives five minutes late you know, in Spain, it's considered fine, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So what, you know, I'll be there. I've said I'm going to be there. Like, but for me, that's like, if someone comes late to me, it's like the rudest thing in the world. Like, you, you haven't told me you're going to be late. You know, we've got mobile phone. Like, for, I'm, you know, I'm 10 minutes early to be on time. I'm, I'm that kind of annoying person. But you have to understand, obviously, that not everyone's like that. But this is exactly it. The moment I mentioned time, you've come up with your own story and your own experience because it's something that is relatable to you. And I'm, I hope to believe that, that all the stories we tell in all these different lessons about interpersonal skills are, are really relatable stories. You know, everyone has a friend, right? Who's like always late or wow. <laughs> everyone wow. has a friend who's always like, you know, interrupts more than others or dominates conversations more than others. I hope to think that these stories are relatable enough so that when students look at them, they are not only able to unpack it and become aware of their own styles, but they're also able to then automatically just bring in their own personal experience and say, oh, no, I have a friend who's exactly like that. Or, oh, my mom is exactly like that. She's so risk averse. She never wants to shop online. So the, these type of different scenarios that often feature some kind of misunderstanding or conflict, hopefully those stories will, you know, trigger memories of not necessarily unpleasant memories, but memories of, of, of their interactions with other people, whether in English or in other languages. And by talking through these things, the students will hopefully become more aware and therefore more prepared when these things happen to them when communicating in English in the future. So not just a list of phrases saying, this is how you resolve a conflict, and that's it. <laughs> I imagine it's an awful lot more than that. Fr phrases are important, but you're absolutely right. So in, in these lessons, we have useful phrases, useful language, useful phrases, boxes, mm -hmm. but they're not Obviously. the focus. They, they are to just kind of help with some of the role plays and some of the 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 group conversations that will take place but but it's it's a very heavily uh focused on speaking on mediation skills kind of lesson in the meantime we we often have a communication skills box which gives little tips or strategies on how to deal with this these different situations 
Um, but but to me, as you can tell, <laughs> the thing that I'm most excited about are, are these critical incidents, these stories, because I, I think I've had a lot of success using them in my classes. When, when, when you present a scenario, some of them could be tiny scenarios. I remember just there was a scenario in one of my classes where we talked about who should pay at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because one of my students said, a guy invited me to dinner. And then at the end of the meal, he said, we're going 50-50. What is going on with that? He invited me, he should pay. And that kind of exploded into like a 30, 40 minute speaking group task in my lesson because everyone had an opinion on it. Um, it's, 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 it's an example of how, you know, talking about conflict management, talking about differences doesn't have to be nasty. It doesn't have to be taboo. You could do it in a way where students are, you know, talking about different, different opinions, but yet having fun doing it. Yeah, of, of course, the, those kind of subjects, you're right. It's, it's always been kind of up to the teacher to bring that situation and, you know, almost turn these these mediation skills almost turn them into like a game quite often to make people do it like but having it there in the course book I think will be incredibly helpful because usually it's you know more experienced teachers would bring that in because they'd be you know happier to talk about something that was um, not risque you know who paid okay is not you know mm. it's not a dangerous subject technically but you know people don't want to bring that kind of conflict into the classroom and I think it's really, really important to have that kind of opportunity to solve those issues in the safety of your classroom. So you're not suddenly out on a date with somebody and they say, we're going to go 50-50. just like, what? What? What do you mean 50-50? What I do is I go 66-33. <laughs> well, that, that, that example of the, the, the date and going 50-50, I don't think she was even on a date. It was just going for dinner with someone. But um, that, that is in a, in, in a lesson uh, about politeness. It's actually in an elementary level lesson on politeness. And, and I think the key takeaway here is that don't assume that what's polite or impolite to you is necessarily what's polite or impolite to the other person. So amongst the many examples given in, on that page, there are examples also like, you know, someone, your best friend corrects your English in front of other people. Is that polite or impolite? Right? <laughs> your friend is often late for appointments. Is that polite and polite? You send an email and your friend takes 48 hours to reply. Is that polite or impolite? And I think it's, there are no right and wrong answers. The, the whole idea of these activities is to get students talking. And, and obviously, we expect them to have different opinions. And, and the why is what's important here. Why do you think it's polite? Why do you think it's impolite? And to get them to really dig in and explore. And, and hopefully in the process, getting students to, 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 to do a lot of speaking in English, a lot of fluency practice, as well as learning about important communication skills and interpersonal skills. Because, you know, I, I had teachers say to me before, but, but why is it my job to teach communication skills? I, I'm an English teacher. My job is to teach grammar and vocabulary and pronunciation. That's it. You know, why is it my job to do this, this stuff about culture? It's just, it's outside my, 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 my list of responsibilities. And I often say, look, you have course book lessons about quirky homes in, in, in the world or, you know, the tallest man in the world. And you get all these funny topics, don't you? Mm -hmm. a, these topics become like the vehicle for presenting grammar, lexis to get students talking, you know, um, what's in your bag, that sort of thing. So why not use a topic that spurs a lot of critical thinking, 
a lot of useful communication skills while still being able to do fluency practice, you know, get some new lexes in, new useful phrases, even practice the grammar. But the only difference is instead of talking about quirky homes, you're talking about Harry and Emily who has different views of time and, and organization, for example. And I think in, in a sense that could be relatable and useful to students in the, in the long term. I mean, well, the quirky serving, homes are still, still going to be there. <laughs> exactly. You're solving future problems. Like what's not good about that? You know, I'm not only teaching the present perfect, I'm also solving a future problem that's coming up. You know, this could easily, you know, in a Zoom meeting with, you know, with Japan, this person might actually know to be quiet for once, you know, and let the other people speak. You know, these are the, the skills that you know, we're helping people with, you know, with future skills for the world. So I think it's I think it's vital. Um, and I remember so it was back in 2019 that I was working as an ELT consultant and here in Spain, they just put it into the, like the, the law, the education law for um, for escuelas oficiales de idiomas, which are like, you know, official adult schools, basically. Um, and it was just kind of dropped on them suddenly. And I was like, who knows something about this? And they just like, no idea. Like, we do this in class already. Yes, you do. Like, how do we assess it? Don't know, but we have to assess it. The government have said we have to assess it. What guidance have they given you? They haven't given us any guidance. It's just like, you can't just expect people to know how to do that. You know, there are aspects of your teaching that you can look at and say, oh, well, I do that there. Oh, that's good. I do that there. But, you know, you need you need help. You need a framework. You need people to study this and give you ideas. Um, and I know there are more and more people, you know, Ethan, for example, does a lot about it. Um, and, yeah, there's lots of people who, who are out there trying to bring it forward. And I'm, I'm just very excited to see uh, how it comes about in voices. It's uh, it's definitely an exciting moment. I'm very much looking forward to to checking it out. I've I've just been very impressed by how forward thinking and innovative National Geographic Learning has been because obviously, as we said, you know, a lot of previous course book mainstream course books have kind of shied away from from that and and, and ended up if they do do it, they they kind of focus on the useful language only, and make that the focus rather than anything else and. And it's it's partly, I think, because they're worried that teachers would look at this and go, what do I do with this? You know, this is an area that I know nothing about. And, and you don't want to put teachers in a position where they feel insecure about their own professional credibility, you know. Um, but they were really forward thinking about this. And we, we figured if we create a spread, uh, a lesson, a two page lesson in each unit that that kind of walks teachers through step by step and take that kind of responsibility of having to know the theory or having to know the answers out of their hands. So in every unit, in every of one of these communication skills spreads, there's a video. And so all the teacher needs to do is just play the video. And sometimes it's me there talking. Sometimes it's an animation, uh, animated video. And, and that the video gives sort of the meat of the lesson of, of, of what's being discussed here. So the teacher doesn't have to be the person, you know, feeling like, oh, I need to go and deliver a lecture about power distance. Um, so the lesson becomes really easy for the teacher to, 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 to carry out, even without the teacher's book, to just go step one, step two, step three. You know, all of it's not dry, all of it's very relatable, you know, done through storytelling. Students get lots of opportunities to be in groups, be in pairs, practice those co group conversation skills, mediation skills. 
Um, and it's just a good speaking lesson at the end of the day, um, if, if we think about it that way, instead of feeling like, oh, I'm so intimidated, it's about interpersonal skills, what's this stuff about? Um, and so I, I just feel really, really excited that, that they've taken this on and, and made it such a huge part of Voices. And I'm just looking forward to hearing what, you know, users of the book, course book would have to say about it. I'm going to ask you an impossible question now. Which is your favourite level that, that you worked on? <laughs> um, I worked on elementary, intermediate and advanced. So elementary and intermediate, I worked with Lewis Lansford. We both wrote those books. The advanced one, there were four of us. Uh, I focused mainly on those communication skill spreads in the advanced book. So I, I didn't do the other spreads. Um, so there was Marek and, and Dan, you know Dan Barber, don't you? Absolutely. Um, uh, I'm a big, big fan of Dan. Um, Dan Dan's amazing. It was it was really a dream team. The, the team of authors were were just, you know, we had a WhatsApp group and we still do. Uh, and, and we're constantly communicating and chatting and we really, really, really get along really well. Um, you know, we, we met up a few times at, at, before the, the, the course, the writing began, you know, to brainstorm. And a lot of it, I don't know how other course books um compare but from what i've heard we, i think voices really had the author's input right from the start before before we even decided what was going to be in voices we were all sitting in a room together you know enjoying good food we even went for an escape the room team building exercise and we kind of put this together what kind of pronunciation features will be in there what kind of grammar features will be in there what is going to make this book different what's going to make this book good for people who communicate globally in english um and and you know the, the input was that the syllabus the curriculum the, the whole thing was 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 all about author's input um rather than you know some course books might say to the author here here's the syllabus here are the topics work around on. it yeah yeah but we created everything right from scratch um with with of course the guidance of the publisher the editors the series editor etc so it's it's a very exciting project and it really feels like your own baby you know <laughs> yeah. comes out. Oh, i am very very so i can't say which is my favorite to answer your no question. you're not gonna you're not gonna answer it's your you? own I baby i knew you would i had to ask though i had to just give it a try um had to give it a shot Right, I, I'm weary that I've, I've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about board games, but you know, that, there's always next time we can talk about board games. Um, Let's do an entire show about board games. There, there you go. I'm going to brush up on my board games because uh, you know I'm 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 a very occasional player, so I've got some some studying to do. But you know, if I'm studying board games, I certainly not going to complain about that. Uh, it's been such a wonderful session. It's been a really you know, eye-opening session for me. Um, something I've been really excited about um, speaking to you and learning from you. Um, yeah, I was going to say getting it from the horse's mouth, but I didn't mean to be rude and call you a horse in that way because you know I've seen you in webinars. I've watched a lot of your talks and stuff like that, but actually getting it directly from you was uh, was fantastic. And I take back ever calling you a horse, and I apologise. That was very rude. <laughs> you can call um, me a horse if you want. That's okay. <laughs> There could be worse things you're calling me. <laughs> horse isn't too bad. Horse is a nice creature. They're, they're wonderful animals. I absolutely love them. But thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a, a real pleasure. Um, and yeah, I've learned so much. And I'm sure all of our listeners have as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great fun to be here.
And then I came back from the interview uh, and, and I was speaking and I realized it was on mute, which was a, a classic, a classic error. Um, yeah, that was uh, the, the, the chat I had this morning um, with, with Kiasu and uh, Chong. And it was, it was incredible. I'm, I'm not sure if you could hear how nervous I was in the, in the interview there, because I am quite a big fan of her. So it was a, it was a bit of a nerve wracking one for me. And, and you know, um, yeah, I had to calm myself down a bit before, before going on to do that. So it was uh, super eye opening as well. And yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I've been looking forward to for an awfully long time. And yeah, I got so much out of it. I hope you did as well. I'm just going to shoot off uh, to the adverts momentarily, and then we'll be back to see out to the end of the show. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, We'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. There we go. Um, so something that I I really got a lot from, from, from my chat earlier was, and I'm sure you guys have as well from listening back just then, um, the, the idea of conflict resolution and conflict management. Um, these are things that, we kind of just expect our learners to be able to do. And I know for sure that I, when I was at school, even in, you know, in, in first language classes, I was never taught how to resolve uh, any kind of conflict or, or anything along those lines. I just, you know, thought to get on with it. And that was it just, or, or don't behave in that way, or you must behave in that way. And a lot of it came about, you know, Kind of self-education but, but this idea of learning how to manage conflict and, and giving students the words to do so i mean especially in in voices which is is the the book that uh, that we were talking about it is for adult students and, and there are a lot of conflicts you come across in in your your adult working life that are you know pretty pretty difficult to resolve even if it were in 
in your mother tongue. So doing it in, in a second language is really difficult. But that also obviously reflects on with younger students as well. Students need to know how to deal with these situations. They need to know how to listen to each other. Um, I know Vanessa mentioned about um, mindful listening. Um, just, you know, stop and listen. Um, listening without interrupting. It's, it's something that, you know, I'm a grown-up and I still really struggle with that quite a lot. Um, so allowing people to finish what they're saying and, and it is something that, that Chia mentioned, it's something that goes across like, different cultures. So in Spain, for example, interrupting is just like a huge thing. Um, and I know for me, being British, coming over here, it was, it was a bit difficult to, to get my head around. But the other thing here is like queuing. Queuing is not something people know how to do here in Spain. So when social distancing and two meter queuing came in, it, it became awfully confusing because you walk into a into a shop and you say, who's the last person? They tell you who the last person is. You say, OK, now I'm the last person. Um, apparently only in church they're good at queuing. Uh, so, yeah, you walk in, you say, I'm the last person. And then you walk off. And that's it. You can maybe come back and you're still after that person. They hold your place in the line, basically. It's just, I don't know. It was it was very weird for me. And, and in bars, um, I've worked as a barman for many, many years. And if somebody came to the front of the bar, like pushed their way to the front and then shouted towards me, like what they wanted to have, what they wanted to order, you know, without making the obligatory eye contact and nod, you know, that your next nod. I mean, if somebody just came up to the bar and just shouted their order at me, I would be... I'd be furious. Um, I would not serve that person under any circumstances because I thought that was so rude. But, you know, when I go in, if I go into a bar here, you have to push your way to the front and you have to just speak. You can't wait to be seen. It's, you know, it's a, a different, uh, a different way, a different kind of cultural aspect. And, and these things that we don't really pay enough attention to in our, in our English classes, in our, ESL, ELT classes, we're not really aware of these different things. We do talk about, you know, the, the occasional tidbits of, of in this culture, this happens, in that culture, that happens. But, yeah, the idea of first identifying a, a conflict and identi identifying a potential conflict is really important. So you can, rather than having to then deal with the conflict, you can actually prevent it from happening. So seeing that beforehand and being able to to avoid it is is a really important skill to have but then yeah conflict in class conflict in just in life it's such an important thing you need to learn about and with the world being so diverse with the internet having all of these different ideas you know to vax or not to vax and and then you know that you have to deal with these situations these situations come up in class you know i would encourage you to to tackle them head on um being apolitical perhaps but you know there are there are things that you know need to be spoken about in class um and being able to deal with this in a second language is so important i know that in spanish i am rubbish at dealing with conflicts uh and i'm also incredibly rude sometimes because i just translate my my british dry quite offensive sarcastic humor into Spanish and I'll tell the same joke and you know my wife will just look at me and, and sort of say 
Like, that was really rude. You can't say that. Um, luckily, you know, people will generally look at me and know that I'm just joking around. I'm just that silly foreigner who makes stupid jokes all the time. Um, so usually that's kind of noticed, but these are the areas that you can really you can really slip up in other languages. And, and I'm so glad that these are things that are going to be brought forward and they are going to be brought to our attention and, and made available. And I am so excited about getting my hands on a copy of Voices. Um, one of my thing, one of the things I absolutely love about my job, one of the things I absolutely love about being able to, to choose my classes and, and teach um, the students I want to teach uh, is I get to choose the materials that I use. Um, uh, and yeah, that for me is really important. Um, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog barking in the background, by the way. I've, I called down to ask my daughter if she wouldn't mind bringing her in um, from outside. But that is about all we're going to talk about today. Um, I really would advise you, if you've come in late today, to, to come back in, listen back. Uh, to the show. We do have Nathan coming up uh, very soon. He'll be hot on my heels in about half an hour. Um, we've, got a, we've got a full full list today for Wednesday. Um, and yeah, as I say, Captain Wombat Nathan will be coming up very soon. So do stick around for that. Um, I, however, am going to, I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to prepare myself for endless meetings tomorrow. Um, what do you have on your agenda for tomorrow? I've got a, well, I'm just looking at my to-do list and it starts with share about our conference, then it's talk about our conference, and then Vanessa's got live lessons, everybody. Wow. Uh, Vanessa is a former guest, everybody. So remember the mindfulness uh, episode we did back in, I think, the 1st of September, um, which is, in fact, my most listened to episode, by the way. Um, she has live lessons. I met her through the Pearson and BBC live lessons. If you haven't had a chance to join in with them, do check them out because they're amazing. And tomorrow is Vanessa's lesson, lesson A, which is all about food, and it is amazing. So um, have some, have fun there. Uh, so yeah, I've got, I've got to share about a, a conference because next weekend is going to be absolutely insane for me. And then I have a, a meeting about a conference, and then a meeting about a roundtable at a conference, and then another meeting, and then I have a conference in Italy. So I'll see you there, maybe, Vanessa. And then, of course, there's Renewable English Live, which comes right after that. So um, I'm going to make sure I'm fully prepared for that, make sure my OBS is lined up with all of my, my different slides. And then tomorrow at two o'clock British time or three o'clock, do come